0: Happy Monday and welcome to Rising. We have another great show for
1: you today. Brianna, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Robbie. Let's get right to it. Let's get cracking. Well, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is pushing an impeachment inquiry into Attorney General Merrick Garland. That is if House Republicans don't get what they consider to be sufficient answers from the Justice Department on the criminal investigation of President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. This is according to Punchbowl News. IRS whistleblowers have made allegations that senior DOJ officials interfered in U.S. Attorney David Weiss's investigation into tax and gun cases involving the president's son. And lawyers for one whistleblower, IRS Supervisor Gary Shapley, claimed this weekend that he knows of several witnesses who can back up his allegation, but Weiss said last fall that he'd sought special counsel status.
0: McCarthy tweeted in response to Shapley's claim, We need to get to the facts, and that includes reconciling these clear disparities. If the whistleblower's allegations are true, this will be a significant part of a larger impeachment inquiry into Merrick Garland's weaponization of the DOJ. Here's more of what the Republicans had to say on the matter from Friday. Let's watch.
2: Do you think it's uh, time to name a special counsel on the Hunter Biden? That's a really good question. We've been doing really good work on the investigations from a number of different committees, but the information that just came back from Ways and Means it really raises the question about the DOJ and what did they what did they do during this? did they withhold information? Did they advise him ahead of time? They treat him much different. So I don't have the answer for that, but it raises the issue that that could be a situation that you might need. But We're, it doesn't stop our this, investigation. Do you think it's time for a special counsel in the Hunter Biden
3: investigation? That was the biggest takeaway, right? The biggest takeaway is the U.S. Attorney Weiss asked for a special counsel status. Mm-hmm. And Garland's Justice Department says no. That, Like, if, if a special counsel is not warranted here, when is it? I mean, you're talking about the president, president's business dealings, potentially, and, of course, Hunter
1: Biden, his son. Meanwhile, Attorney General Garland defended the Hunter Biden probe. Let's watch that.
4: Mr. Weiss, who was appointed by President Trump as the U.S. attorney in Delaware and assigned this matter during the previous administration, would be permitted to continue his investigation and to make a decision to prosecute any way in which he wanted to and in any district in which he wanted to. Mr. Weiss has since sent a letter to the House Judiciary Committee confirming that he had that authority. I don't know how it would be possible for anybody to block him from bringing a prosecution given that he has this authority.
1: Hunter Biden is expected to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax charges involving failure to pay taxes on several millions of dollars of income, and the felony gun charge will be resolved by a pre-trial diversion program.
0: Right. So more of uh, you know the GOP really taking the Hunter Biden issue very seriously. Um, you know, and there is a lot to be concerned about here. Uh, You know, we've called attention to double standards in prosecution a lot lately. And I think that's a, a fair thing to argue about. And, you know, this whistleblower does need to be Heard out. Try to you know fully vet, uh, vet these claims that are are being made because they're you know, they're very interesting. Um, again, we've been the American people were gaslit about the laptop and other matters for years by law enforcement and by the mainstream media and by other people. So I, I understand the you know not taking or not nobody's going to take. I'd say no, nobody who's independent thinking or on the right is taking Merrick Garland at his word anymore. Um, that said, obviously we need more. We need not just allegations but some fundamental evidence to get to the point of impeachment or anything else. I
1: mean, are you worried about a a boy who whistleblowed wolf situation (laughs) here, where it seems like there are no shortage of individuals who conservatives are interested in impeaching right now? I I, I don't disagree. I mean, we talked about the comparison between the treatment of Hunter Biden, the treatment of any number of people with similar gun charges who have not been extended as much grace by the criminal justice system, the fact of Hunter Biden's father showing no grace Race as he invade to get the crime bill passed and draft it, drafted it and the millions of lives that it has negatively affected, all of that hypocrisy is true. But it also does seem like at a certain point there might be some public exhaustion with the sheer volume of accusations of misconduct that are coming out of the right, um, and, accu- and not just accusations of misconduct, efforts to— Um, impeach people out of office at the same time that they are trying to lock down an argument that Donald Trump is being politically prosecuted and impeached unduly. I mean, it does seem to me that at a certain point it feels like a little bit of a conflict of interest, or do you think Republicans are perceiving it as, well, it's retribution. If you're gonna keep doing these political prosecutions, well, of course it's our right to use the full force of the justice system right back at you.
0: I mean, some of these issues though, you know, regardless of the politics of it or the posturing of it are things we need to get to the bottom of. So um, among the whistleblower's claims, I, I'm, this is a great article from the Washington Free Beacon um, and they've verified or looked into more of some of these claims, but one of them is that the FBI actually, according to the whistleblower, um, had authenticated the laptop mm-hmm. a year before it was even a story. Yeah, so, so that which speaks to, again, just all those law enforcement officials who who went on to say it looks like a disinformation yeah. I- the, the, tactic the laptop, and then... Yeah. The
1: laptop is clear. Yeah. This gun and tax issue yeah. feels a little bit like a different issue. I, and I, I, mean, I, I, you know... Fair enough. And they, the Democrats have to to take your point reap what they've sown in terms of public distress and opening themselves up to these kind of accusations. But what I keep seeing over and over again is Republicans raising the specter of misconduct Mm -hmm. and no red flags coming down the pike. So the laptop, the fact of it being taken down and the speech issue and all of that is a completely legitimate concern. The smoking gun that connects any of Hunter Biden's uh, behaviors to misconduct on the behalf of the presidency. We're still waiting for that. Even after now we've had a Republican House and the ability for them to subpoena and investigate these matters as they promised to do for months. And at a certain point, at a certain point, it does start to feel less like there's a sincere investigation going on, mm-hmm. and more like it's a witch hunt. Only because nothing is manifesting, and that could change tomorrow if something does in fact manifest. But it does feel a little bit like. A political narrative at this point that's running on steam.
0: Shapley also says that IRS and FBI agents um, considered or wanted to search Hunter Biden's residence, the uh, the uh, and a guest house at Joe Biden's compound. But the assistant U.S. attorney Leslie Wolf uh, said that uh, said there was enough probable cause to support a warrant, but she questioned the optics of conducting a search of
1: Biden mm-hmm. properties. I think. I mean, you no, know where again? You know where I'm going with no this. There's no question. Yeah. There's no question that the president <laughs> wow. is going to get treated differently by the j- criminal justice system. Yeah. I mean, there's just no question about yeah. it. And but I mean, the optics, optics of
0: Mar-a-Lago, No one cares. I guess this, this is what I'm saying. The, the Justice Department. This is why people feel. Again, people on the right feel like it's been weaponized.
1: I, I take your yeah. point, Robbie. And I know they're not those, disagreeing. Are those, equi- with me. are those equivalent, though? Well, because there was, was also the case of the the um, the Archives Department. were trying for what, a year? We we talked through the timeline last week at some point. You know, a year of asking politely for the documents back before the raid finally happened. So I, I do think that there's a little bit of You have to acknowledge if Hunter Biden, if there's probable cause that he has Documents of national security interests, a weapon that could be dangerous, some, something that there's some exigency a around weapon, it.
0: Haley Biden <laughs> threw the weapon in the, in the dumpster, do you remember?
1: Yeah, of course,
0: of course. Bo, Bo's, wild, uh, Bo's uh, 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 wife well, yeah. was dating uh, Hunter briefly right. and told him he couldn't have a gun in that right. shape he was in and threw it in the truck. But
1: it's, it's the obstruction of justice of it all that got okay. Hunter, uh, that got, yeah. um, Donald Trump rather the raid. Fine.
0: It's all Fine. <laughs> But I and I I agree we gotta we gotta see some results instead of just continuing to talk about Hunter Biden, especially if they want to tie him to you know, as Jim Jordan then there. Yeah. He, he, then he tied it to Joe Biden. Then he you know backs off with well potentially. Well, yeah, let's know if it's potentially thing. not fine. But there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot here to <laughs> you be can suspicious about. You I can don't hear
1: it in all of their statements this like yeah inference, like this the implication that it's connected to Joe Biden because they know that without that. It becomes—you can think whatever you want about Hunter Biden, obviously he's a very troubled person, but it actually has nothing to do with the public interest. Right. Unless you can have that smoking gun that ties it to Biden. They've obviously been looking for that assiduously since the day the Hunter Biden laptop dropped and I mean, probably Sure, before.
0: but, I mean, they—the the distrust in they is— to, to my mind now the fundamental issue. Do we have a Justice Department that operates in good faith, that is not biased, that is not doing a witch hunt against no, I mean, political the actors they, the way. They,
1: I mean Republicans. Yeah. Republicans who have control of the House and the subpoena power yeah. have been looking for that connection for months now, to no avail. You know, yeah. They've been in power for half a year now, to no avail. So, you know, maybe it'll happen and then I'll eat I'll eat my hat. You know, happily. I have no dog in this fight, but at a certain point, especially when there's so much going on in the country and in the real world, does this feel like it's sucking up political mm-hmm. capital and are the people eventually going to get exhausted of everyone in Congress trying to impeach each other on both sides and no one talking about inflation, healthcare, the cost of education, the cost of housing? and everything else that's troubling people. Right,
0: I mean, just because Republicans are doing a very bad job of getting to the bottom of these kinds of issues, doesn't mean these issues don't exist. Sure, sure. All right, more Rising right after this. Stay with us. Ben Hu, the Wuhan scientist who was named the alleged patient zero for COVID-19, is speaking out. In an email, Hugh told Science Magazine, quote, The recent news about so-called patient zero in Wuhan Institute of Virology are absolutely rumors and ridiculous. Who denied that he was sick in late 2019 or that his coronavirus work led to COVID-19. Hugh also wrote, I did not get sick in autumn t- 2019 and did not have COVID-19-like symptoms at the time. My colleagues and I tested for antibodies for SARS-CoV-2 in early March 2020, and we were all negative.
1: This follows a long-awaited report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence that was released Friday that says scientists at the Wuhan Wuhan Institute of Virology did not conduct research on coronaviruses and, quote, in some cases had inadequate safety measures and had genetically engineered viruses. But the intelligence agencies said they have found nothing that tells them that work at the laboratory caused the pandemic. The New York Times writes, The report said, quote, "...the IC has no information, however, indicating that any WIV genetic engineering work has involved SARS-CoV-2, a close progenitor, or a backbone virus that is closely related enough to have been the source of the pandemic." In the report, the office said that "...all agencies of the government continue to assess that both a natural and laboratory-associated origin remain plausible hypotheses to explain the first human infection." The report confirms that the Wuhan lab did not always adhere to safety protocols in studying coronaviruses. The report allegedly does not include new intelligence, but instead contains details of intelligence that the government has had for over two years, according to uh, U.S. Right to Know. Joining us now to discuss is founder of One Shared World, Jamie Metzel. Welcome, Jamie.
3: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: So what should people think? Obviously, there was um, this incredible reporting from Michael Schellenberger uh, and others about uh, who, being, uh, who being patient zero. Subsequently, it was confirmed by the Wall Street Journal's reporting. And now I've, I've been asking this whole time, has anyone spoke to Ben Hu? Now we know the answer. Ben Hu has spoken. And he says, it wasn't me. I, there's, I did not have COVID. And people are pushing back against this. What should we make of it?
3: Uh, if Ben, who is patient zero, that would be significant. I've not yet seen evidence confirming that's the case. The Michael Schellenberger and the Wall Street Journal uh, published pieces uh, saying that sources inside the United States government had had made those uh, made those claims. And if it's true, it's significant. And, and it, so far, it's just not proven.
0: Um, so, what is your response to the report? uh, that, you know, finally came out delayed a a week or so. Uh, To my mind, it was very disappointing. It doesn't, you know, it's basically a summary again of what various government agencies think, which is they don't know. But, you know, I was hoping for actually not just a summary of what they know, but... Like actually, what they know, right? What caused what raw intelligence caused the Energy Department and the FBI to make a conclusion that is different from other government agencies? That was what I was hoping to get here. Uh, We did not get that.
3: So I think many of us were were hoping that we would get more than we got. Um, And my sense of it is that the United States government essentially doesn't know, and with the available, albeit circumstantial, evidence different U.S. intelligence agencies are leaning in one direction or another, and that's why those of us on the outside are trying to read the tea leaves of and parsing the the language here. The U.S. intelligence community is in a bit of a rough situation. Uh, In many ways, what we are experiencing now is the after effects of the intelligence failures in the run-up to the Iraq War, where the intelligence community was pressured to release um, unprocessed raw data and then that raw data was used to drive decisions that were ultimately wrong. Um, so I think there's a level of institutional caution that's now built into how these, how these different, um, agencies function. But the summary is there are two viable hypotheses, research related origin, uh, and quote unquote natural origin. And we need to keep digging and and pushing i don't think the united states government is is has all of this information and, and is sitting on it um and i think that we, we we can't 20 million people are dead from this totally avoidable pandemic we can't just move on we need to keep digging and we need to also keep demanding that the chinese government end its criminal cover-up uh, which is what is making it so difficult to get the kind of basic data and evidence that we would need. And if China had been more forthcoming and transparent, we would already know how this pandemic started.
0: Uh, right. And, and that's, you know, if they want to acquit these scientists and their behavior, we, I, we can't just take their word for it that they took an antibody test, like, let's see those lab results, you know, let the rest of the world see them. It's, and it's not even like an, I mean, I think there's plenty of reason to be especially distrustful of the Chinese government, but you wouldn't, you know, you would not take the word of, of any, of any government, the U.S. government, uh, a private company, just saying, no, 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 we didn't do it, we weren't negligent, we have evidence we didn't do it. That's it, move on. Like, that wouldn't be satisfactory in any situation.
3: Now, that that's a hundred percent correct and it's kind of preposterous uh to even use that as evidence which we're seeing it all, all across the media where, where people are saying well um they the uh, uh shu jeng lee tested everybody in her lab uh in march of 2020 and everyone tested negative on a serology test and that's just st- uh, statistically impossible based on the prevalence of COVID-19 infection in Wuhan at the time. So uh, we really need to just keep digging, and and certainly many of us were disappointed um, by the ODNI release. Again, I don't think that that the ODNI is engaged in some kind of cover-up. Frankly, I served in the United States government. I don't think the United States government is capable of a (laughs) cover-up at this uh, this scale. Um, But we need to keep digging, keep uh, keep, uh, pushing, One of the things that I've been calling for for uh, more than three years now is a bipartisan U.S. national COVID-19 commission that could create another avenue uh, for doing more work. But one thing that we can't do is simply move on and and forget the the 20 million lost lives, because if we do, that sets uh, sets us up for even worse failure in the future.
1: Jamie uh, former science writer for The Economist and author Matt Ridley uh, pushed back against uh, Ben who's claims saying that there's evidence that we know that he's not telling the truth there are contradictions between what he said the work that he says he was doing and the work right. that the evidence says that he was doing so Ben who of course said that he never worked with live SARS like coronaviruses um, Matt Ridley points out that in 2017 there seems to be evidence um, that he in fact did. He tweeted uh, that ben Hu said back then, in addition to epidemiological investigation and sequence analysis, we also conducted cellular infection experiments to investigate the potential cross-species transmission ability of the newly discovered SARS-like coronavirus in bats. I mean, how do you look at contradictions like that? Do you see that as evidence supporting the fa- the idea that ben uh, who might be lying?
3: So I don't think we can, as we said before- we- a scientist in China, particularly a scientist working in a very sensitive area uh, like coronaviruses at a time like, like now, it's not the same as interacting with a scientist in New Zealand or Canada or the United States or, or a more open society. So the credibility of these scientists is absolutely essential. I mean, Matt it was right to point out that, uh, that inconsistency. Uh, Shu Jiang Li, who who runs this lab at the at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, in which uh, Ben who uh, works, I had asked her a question March of twenty twenty one, whether she knew about all of the work happening at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and whether the Chinese military, the PLA, was engaged or involved with this work in any in any way at all. And she categorically said no. So the new ODNI report makes the the very strong and I think irrefutable claim that 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 was not the case, that the PLA did have a role at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which means that Xu Li was not telling the truth when she responded to my question in March of uh, of 2021. And so why is that important? Well, the entire case pretty much against a research-related origin rests upon Xu Li's assertion uh, that the precursor, possible precursor viruses uh, to SARS-CoV-2 uh, were not being held at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but we have no idea what viruses were being held there, what work was being done, and who was doing that work. So everything rests on the credibility of these Chinese scientists, who may well be honorable people, but they are are, are working in an authoritarian environment where they aren't free to just be totally open and uh, and transparent. And so it, it just would be preposterous uh, if uh, if the case against a research-related origin uh, rested upon the unverified word of Chinese scientists. Mm. Jamie Metzel, thank you so
0: much for joining us.
3: My pleasure. Mm.
1: Russian President Vladimir Putin seemingly avoided a coup over the weekend. Friday, the leader of the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who was also a longtime ally of Putin, launched a rebellion against the Kremlin, leading his fighters from the front lines of Ukraine on a march toward the Russian capital. A supposed deal to avoid bloodshed allowed the Wagner Group leader to live in exile to avoid charges of treason, but there are reports that the Federal Security Service is still investigating.
0: And this attempted coup has apparently left its mark on the Russian backed commander of the separatist forces in Ukraine reportedly. Tweeting, the country will never be the same again. Joining us now to weigh in is retired Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis, senior fellow and military expert at Defense Priorities. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Robbie. We're so grateful to have you on because we really need your expertise here. Uh, What exactly happened, and you know what should, from a from a U.S. perspective or you know perspective of wanting peace and not escalating tensions with, between Russia and the U.S. Uh, what what would be the, like an outcome to hope for here?
4: Well, you know, right now we're, we're limited to just watching from the outside and in, in the, in the stands, so to speak. Uh, we don't have any play at all in this. And it is one of the most bizarre uh, turn of events I have ever even read about or experienced in my lifetime. This actually goes back though, not just, you know, within the last 48, 72 hours, but really goes back all the way to January because Prigozhin had begun making a series of of increasingly provocative public statements, accusing the the Russian Ministry of Defense and the the senior general in charge of their armed forces, Gerasimov, uh, of all kinds of things, and, you know, intentionally holding back ammunition, wanting the Wagner group to fail, uh, and and many similar things like that. And it started this really big uh, 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 friction between the two, which was starting to have an impact on the ground. And then Prigozhin progressively took it worse and worse and worse until he finally accused the, the Ministry of Defense of outright attacking his men. And that's what allegedly sparked the move forward. But it looks like he was actually planning this. And that was probably just uh, something for the for the film and the cameras to get because he was already prepared to make this move. The big issue, though, is this is not like a classic coup in the sense that they wanted to topple the government and take control He even in his most angry said, hey, this is not against Putin. This is against uh, Shoigu, the minister of defense and Gerasimov. And so he was making this move to try and get them out of power. And uh, it remains to be seen what deal was actually struck behind the scenes because we still don't know much about what's actually happened. Uh, But at least from Putin's perspective, the immediate crisis has been averted. But there are going to be some probably tremors and aftershocks coming following this.
1: Yeah, I want you to unpack that a little bit more for us, if you could, because the U.S. media, or many, I should say maybe... Liberal parts of the US media were really characterizing um, the march uh, to Moscow as um, a real indictment of Putin, a threat to Putin. There was almost a cheering on of the Wagner Group. And it did seem to miss the kind of posture of what's going on there. Whereas I understand it, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the Wagner Group had been instrumental in. Um, Russian successes in Bakhmut, there was a kind of credibility that the Wagner group gained from that, but that was embarrassing in some ways to the generals, uh, because they were, ai don't know how you describe it, a mercenary group of some kind. And that is where the tension fundamentally lay, not between the Wagner group and Putin per se. And if that's accurate, what do you make then of how this whole escapade has been characterized by the U.S. media?
4: Well, I mean, you got to know that the, the U.S. media and the Western altogether, definitely in Kiev, loves to characterize anything that happens negative in, in uh, Russia in the worst possible light. This certainly has provided much grist for that mill, uh, because a lot of bad things have happened too. Uh, but this one of the things that this does show about the weakness of Putin is that he allowed this to get to this stage. And I think that's a question that many of his even supporters are starting to grumble about a little bit, because as I pointed out, Uh, Even back in February, there was a big explosion. Then there was a major one in in, uh, May where he uh, accused the the Russians' uh, leadership of doing all kinds of terrible things. Putin took no action to any of that. Now, part of the reason that he did that is because the Wagner group has been absolutely unique uh, and unprecedented in, in the Russian side of military success. They helped take Mariupol in the early part of the war. Uh, Several Donetsk, Lysychansk, Popozna, Solidar, and then finally Bakhmut. No other Russian organization has anywhere near that much offensive success. And Putin didn't want to upset the cart too much because he wanted to keep that formation for the next fight that he's going to get ready to fight, probably this summer. And I think he gave uh, Prigozhin too much leeway. And then now it blew up in his face like this. But one other thing I want to point out in terms of what was actually trying to be uh, occurred here by Prigozhin uh i can't imagine that he actually thought he could topple the government because all of their equipment all of their ammunition fuel everything comes from the ministry of defense they don't get it independently so they can't turn literally militarily against the the ministry of defense and think that they're gonna you know continue to get ammunition they would have run out right away there's no way they could have assaulted moscow and had a military success they would have all been killed so i rather think that it's more probable that uh, Prigozhin was playing a great game of chicken to try and force Putin's hand. And we'll see, because there's been lots of reports uh, along a lot of credible Russian sources that suggest that behind the scenes that uh, both Shoigu and Garisimov uh, may be on the way out, but they want to do it in such a way that it doesn't appear that it was a direct response to what Prigozhin said. But uh, I'll be surprised if they stay much longer in their positions.
0: It definitely does seem like there was, like like Brianna said, coming from, you know, liberal media sources over the weekend, or, you know, very people who are very pro continuing to arm and fund Ukraine, that there was a, a kind of pretending that the Wagner group, yeah, w- could in fact take over, depose Putin, and that this might be, you know, be this might be good for the Ukrainian cause or from the more hawkish U.S. perspective in regime change in Russia. Um, without a lot of acknowledgement, right? That, that, and uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, we know very little about this, especially compared to you, but that the the Wagner group itself has some extremist ties as well. And, you know, this would not be, it's kind of the classic American imagining that, oh, we replace Saddam, it'll be better. We'll replace, you know, X bad person, then it'll be better without any real evidence that, and and I I take what you're saying that this was not ever going to be an actual replace Putin thing. But if it even was, that that would be good for Ukraine or good for the US doesn't actually make a lot of sense.
4: Well, look, first of all, we got to look at the military capability. It took nine months for the Wagner group to take a city of 70,000, let let that sink in for a second, instead of the I think, 10 million in in Moscow. So they were never going to be able to do anything. And that was sheer fantasy on anybody to think that. But Robbie, I think that this is exposing a bigger issue, kind of back to your question a minute ago about what the United States should be doing. Uh, This is really starting to expose that Russia's uh, conventional military power and internal political unity is quite frayed. And the threat or the risk of American national interest or of NATO is much lower than anybody thought. And I I think that what we should do is just kind of stand back and say, hey, we're going to continue to defend every inch of NATO as our treaty obligates us to and as our long-term commitments require. Keep our security, but say, hey, look, it's time for the Europeans to pick up a lot more of this because mm. we see that they can handle this with their military. And if there's no should be no need or expectation that America will always provide the front level of, of support and put all the forces and pay all the money and give all the ammunition and weapons ahead of everybody else. It is time n- not for us, uh, you know, rebalancing, but uh, actually burden shifting over to safely over to our European allies. I think that it's time to start uh, realizing that we don't need to be taking the front in every kind of uh, conflict over there.
1: That's a fascinating read, because so much of what is underpinning kind of America's foreign policy um, framing in the region is the idea that Putin has these broad, lofty territorial ambitions to conquer all of Europe. And you're saying that what we should take from this is that they frankly cannot, and they can barely hold down the fort at home, and that not only should we not be concerned about that and that shouldn't be a a motivation to uh, NATO expansion or or what have you, but it should also cause us to take a a lighter share of of, um, handling the defense of the rest of Europe, broadly speaking, from a military perspective.
4: That's 100% correct. And, and look, this is not putting anybody at threat or risk. This is exposing what really many of us have been saying for a long time, that Russia doesn't have the military capacity to even threaten one NATO nation, much less 31 or in soon to be 32 probably. Uh, so this shows that it is very safe. European countries are completely capable of handling the security because the threat is almost non-existent. Because you see, after 16 months of war, russia has still hanging on to about 17 percent of ukraine and they haven't been able to go much more than it's uncertain whether they will make good on their summer offensive or not that's still to be seen but even in that case they might get another few, uh, few hundred kilometers or so within the country and they might not get any but the bottom line is they cannot cannot go further and so it is no longer required that america has to always be at the forefront of putting everything up front, while our rich European allies sit back and let us do it, and they can do it. And that's what I think we need to shift to what's appropriate for American economic and national security, and for the Europeans to pick up their fair share.
0: Well, this morning on CNN, former National Security Advisor John Bolton had this to say about the attempted coup and how the Biden administration should respond.
4: Well, I think that is a possibility, but I have to say, uh, I think all of us have to avoid strenuously Uh, drawing overbroad conclusions from insufficient data and right now we have radically insufficient information about a whole host of things starting with the coup and attempted coup and what happened to it and and what the future holds I, I have my own doubts about Uh, how serious this coup effort was, uh, and what kind of threat it actually posed to Putin. And I have my doubts, uh, uh, it it clearly amounts to a weakening of Putin's position, but whether it's fatal, as some people seem to think, I have my doubts about that, we just don't know enough. And I think that's one very good reason why uh, the White House has done very little here, and that's a a position they should hold to.
0: So that's interesting. John Bolton is a figure I, I think we've all criticized a uh, number of times, but he, he seems there to be saying uh, basically along the lines of what you've said.
4: Uh, I, I was When you said John Bolton, I was almost prepared reflexively to say, oh, that's nonsense. But in this case, <laughs> I'm like, wow, I agree with every word he said. I don't find myself in that position very often, but he's completely right. We don't need to do anything, don't need to take any position, and we definitely don't know a great many facts. So I'm, I'm obviously all for him on this one.
1: <laughs> so can you update us just a little bit quickly now about where we are, the role that uh, Belarus played in helping to unwind this, and what we expect to hear next from the Wagner group?
4: Yeah, you know, that's actually another part of the reason why Putin has been weakened, because he was not able to solve this on his own. And, and it's, it, Lukashenko is almost considered a joke uh, among European and, and Western leaders is, is that he's just kind of a puppet for Putin, and Putin saved him in 2020 from an internal uh, issue in his country. Uh, but now then, without uh, Rogozhin, it's very possible that that convoy, though it could never have captured Moscow, it could have had to uh, fight a big, horrible, bloody clash with other Russians, and, and could have just been really, really bad for, for both uh, Putin himself and for the, the country as well, with Russian-on-Russian Russian fighting you know, so close to the capital. Uh, he seems to have prevented that, and apparently did a pretty good job with that. So uh, people are going to be wondering why it took Lukashenko to do something that Putin wasn't able to, and he's going to have to answer for that one himself. But in terms of the second part about what's up for Wagner, that's what everybody's waiting to find out right now, uh, to include the Russians and the the Ukrainians and everybody, because he's uh, Wagner has not um, Prigozhin has not been seen since that time. And we don't know for sure where he's going, what he's going to do when he get there. What's going to happen with the Wagner group that are in Luhansk right now? Are they going to continue to fight for Russia as a unit? Are they going to just dissolve and be absorbed in the Ministry of Defense? No one knows any of those things right now.
0: Mm. Well, according to the White House, President Joe Biden spoke with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky about the Russia rebellion, where Biden quote, reaffirmed unwavering US support, including through continued security, economic and humanitarian aid. Thank you, Colonel Davis, for joining us. More Rising right after this.
1: Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her husband Paul Pelosi have reportedly exercised options worth millions of dollars in Apple and Microsoft stocks a day before they would have expired, according to Apple Insider. The husband and wife purchased 5,000 shares in Apple and Microsoft stock per day before the option expired, and this equals approximately $930,000 worth of Apple stock and $1.7 million worth of Microsoft stock.
0: Journalist Glenn Greenwald tweeted yesterday, the queen of congressional stock trading today went on the MSNBC program of state propagandist Jen Psaki to sermonize about the importance of integrity in public servants. Let's take a listen to what she had to say about this relating to SCOTUS justices.
2: If nothing else, there should be some ethical rules that would be followed. I had one justice tell me he thought the other justices were people of integrity, like a Clarence Thomas. I'm like,
1: get out of here. And here's what the then speaker had to say about members of Congress trading stocks a year ago. No, I don't know to the second one. Um, any, uh, We have a
2: responsibility to report in the stock on the stock, but I don't, I'm don't. i not familiar with that five-month review, but if uh, people aren't reporting, they should be. Why just, why yeah. Should be a B- because this is a free market and people, we are a free market economy, they should be able to participate in that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah,
0: right. so, and people should be able, I agree that people should be able to participate in a free market economy. But should the people who write the rules for the stock companies also be directly participating? You know, who who are crafting legislation around important tech issues? Her and her husband, or her, or just her husband, but it is her husband, uh, investors in companies like Facebook and uh, and Nvidia, Nvidia. I never know how to say that. At the same time as the Chips Act going through, you know, these are massive amounts of money at stake that they're directly tied into.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, this is not a controversial issue. There is a bipartisan effort to ban congressional stock trading, which is part of why that Nancy Pelosi clip from last year was so galling and went so viral. She was asked a clear, direct question about whether or not uh, Congress members should be allowed to uh, trade stocks. And also, the reporter had set up the fact that many Congress members had violated the existing rules. Uh, uh, on trading and disclosures and her answer was to kind of scoff at it and be really dismissive of the idea that there could be anything untoward now In her mild defense here, there's no specific allegation that there's some connection between her behavior in office and this particular stock trade, but it's a much broader issue than that. And I think that Glenn is right to point out the hypocrisy of folks who are hand-wringing and moralizing in one instance, but are unwilling to hold themselves to those same sorts of standards. Now, it is also true that what Nancy Pelosi is saying about the level of corruption in the Supreme Court is— accurate and true, um, federal employees are broadly required to report gifts, and that includes Supreme Court justices. And, of course, you just recently had this scandal involving um, Clarence Thomas, and now this more recent scandal involving uh, Samuel Alito, who was revealed to have taken a personal jet flight uh, with a billionaire who had a very uh, significant case before the court. There are federal reporting rules that would have required him to report. He has reported in the past $500 worth of food and gifts, but not um, this much more significant uh, gift a plane ride and a fishing trip with this billionaire who had this case before the court. And what was so scandalous about this particular event was that ProPublica had reached out to Alito and to get some questions answered in furtherance of writing this story. And instead of responding to the questions, he was allowed to write an op-ed in the uh, Wall Street Journal defending himself. But he didn't defend himself by saying, "I didn't violate the rules of the Supreme Court." He didn't make any references to any of the disclosure <laughs> rules in the Supreme Court. He cited like definitions of words and basically said I, I think I think that I'm not like and I'm an ethical guy don't worry about it so it seems very much like there's just a big club uh, and regular people are in it or held by those same sorts of standards
0: uh, sure I I so I guess further in his defense he says that um, they didn't discuss this case that in fact he has no idea he had no idea that Singer was involved in any of these cases that tangentially concern his business interests. Um, Right. Well, the rule is you have have to disclose gifts, not that you have to
1: disclose gifts when you think that the person is before the court, as he's done in the past. In fact, the ProPublica piece that eventually came out made it clear that Alito has disclosed this $500 gift, saying also, I don't think this person is going to come before the court. So Alito seems to have an awareness that the condition of disclosure isn't like believing that they're going to appear uh, before the court. And this was a much more significant gift. So this was a luxury fishing lodge that charged more than $1,000 a day. Uh, the jet, the private jet that he flew on to Alaska, where this trip took place, would have cost uh, more than $100,000 one way had Alito charted it himself. And part of Alito's defense was, well, if I didn't get on this plane, the seat would have been empty anyway, so the cost wasn't... Uh, a real cost that accrued. And that's up to the public to decide if they think that they have faith in the federal judiciary, accepting those kinds of gifts, which uh, led to the person who scheduled the trip um, winning uh, $2.4 billion uh, before the Supreme Court when the case was resolved in his favor.
0: Right. He says, again, I'm looking at Alito's op-ed. He says that when I joined the court and until the recent amendment of the filing instructions, justices commonly interpreted this discussion of hospitality to mean that accommodations and transportation for social events were not reportable gifts. So. Yeah,
1: it's wild. I mean, on one hand, you're going to dinner with someone, and you're saying, "Well, I got to report five hundred dollars worth of dinner cost." That seems like hospitality. On the other hand, a fishing trip where you're being put up four thousand dollars a day plus a hundred thousand dollar uh, plus plane ride isn't disclosed, I think in a lot of people's eyes, if you were able to take the lens of partisanship out of it, if it's not a big deal, then why not just disclose it? Um, and especially given that there's been these now repeated high profile instances of these kinds of scandals, it would be even, I think, um, you know uh, somehow satisfying or grounding or, or, or if they retrospectively said well let me report some of these things because I can see now that it's in the public interest as a consequence of the Harlan Crow um, uh, Clarence Thomas fiasco I, mean,
0: I think the argument that he's making or that people are making on his behalf is that he genuinely didn't know that he had to report this and, and in fact he told a, he he disclosed this informally in a social setting he, he gave a speech To the Federalist Society, where he told an anecdote from this trip with Paul, this fishing trip where they got surrounded by bears or something. So it wasn't. It wasn't being attempted to be kept secret?
1: Yeah, but that's that's, the the problem. I think the problem with that, and the ProPublica piece points this out, is why did you disclose this other gift if you didn't think disclosures were necessary? So for background, a federal law passed after Watergate requires federal officials, including Supreme Court justices, to publicly publicly, uh, report most gifts. So the year before this is from ProPublica, Alito reported getting $500 of Italian food and wine from a friend, noting that his friend was unlikely to appear before this court. Now, the law has a personal hospitality Exemption, if someone hosted justice on their own property, free food, lodging or entertainment don't always have to be disclosed. But the law clearly requires disclosure for gifts of private jet flights, according to seven ethics law experts, and Alito appears to have violated that rule. Sounds
0: kind of confusing, frankly.
1: (laughs) All right, well, then that same excuse could be given in defense of Nancy Pelosi and others who trade these kind of stocks. And I think if we're going to be principled here, this cannot be a partisan endeavor where folks are willing to look one way Mm. if they happen to be affiliated with the right or look one way if they happen to be affiliated with the left. I'm sitting here saying I think it's unconscionable that Nancy Pelosi has, when she was Speaker of the House, declined to bring um, these kind of stock bills to vote because they obviously she perceived them, it seemed, to be uh, as disadvantaged to her own personal interest. Jin Psaki sitting here as a former spokesperson for the head of the Democratic Party, failing to press Nancy Pelosi on those kinds of ethics questions is unethical. And I think it's also the case that Supreme Court justices, whether they be left or right leaning, not following the federal disclosure rules that came out of— uh, the most famous instance, perhaps, of political corruption, the Watergate scandal, is a real detriment to uh, American society. Are these, dis- these cases that are c- providing billions of dollars of outcome to billionaires really in the public interest? Or is this a kind of uh, corporate cronyism that none of us uh, should be content with?
0: I just don't really think it's affecting his ju- in, in the same way that I don't care that, uh, you know, Elena Kagan had draw- recently drew a salary from Harvard and is probably weighing in as we speak on the Harvard admissions case. You don't care um, about that? that?
1: You don't think there's a conflict of I interest there?
0: No, I don't think it affects her decision making.
1: Um, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I don't know that if it, it doesn't, why not just one, she's made the disclosure, so that's helpful, uh, mm-hmm. but also, You know, why not recuse yourself and or forgo that salary? If things are this important and and the optics are so important in the outcome of these kinds of cases, the credibility of the court is, of course, implicated. If one of the justices was—I mean, obviously, she was the former—she was my law school dean when when I was there—but also that she is still drawing a salary, is an obvious conflict of interest. Not every conflict of interest necessarily affect someone's decision-making, but it's the optics of what's going on there that is causing there to be public mistrust in these institutions, and that matters. I
0: mean, it just seems like for the Supreme Court, there'd be no end to that. I mean, Ketanji Brown-Jackson was appointed by Biden, so should she not weigh in on any Biden-related case? Of course not. That would be—I mean, you could say that at any of them, right? Seems that it, 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 to me, it is—it's fundamentally different from—and not—I take your point that it shouldn't just be like a partisan thing against Nancy Pelosi. There's tons of people in Congress, including many Republicans, high-profile Republicans, the Georgia Republicans, who you know got got caught and and humiliated as they deserved to be for the insider trading they were doing uh, with respect to COVID. So I, I'm not at all trying to make it just like a Democratic issue. It's not at all. There are tons of Republicans in Congress. But to me, there's a—it's a more direct. The, the, the corruption is is more obvious. It involves them getting millions of dollars instead of the what what's being maligned about the Supreme Court is a bunch of kind of collegial relations around influential people.
1: Well, I don't know. I don't have collegial relations with Alito. I'm not I don't have the ability to sit down with him and share my view of the world. And millions of working class people around America are also not being invited on these $1,000 day fishing trips and having apparently no influence at all on sharing their life, their concerns, their priorities, and how they see the world. So if you think that it's equitable that very affluent people can get proximity to folks that are making decisions at the highest level in the United States of America, I mean, that's one person—that's that, a point of view that people can have. But I will say I think there's a real distinction between appointments um, and providing financial incentives. Do I think that there? i am very open, by the way, to the idea that Supreme Court justices should be decided by some metric other than being appointed by the sitting president. That's Mm -hmm. one of the conversations that's been percolating around Supreme Court reform, and I'm very open to that, generally speaking. However, the whole point of lifetime tenure—again, I'm open to changing that—but the whole point of lifetime tenure is that the appointment no longer necessarily has the long— Arm of effect on your behavior. And we have seen over the course of the Supreme Court, many justices that were reported by conservatives become more liberal over their period of time in the court, and there's nothing that the president appointing president can do about it because of the reality of lifetime tenure. So I do think that's a very different thing than someone who has continued to recoup monetary benefits from an institution that is literally before them in the court.
0: Mm. All right, we'll have more rising right after this.
1: The ladies of The View had this to say about Hunter Biden and The Probe. Let's watch.
2: In orange, it's comparisons. Well, the other thing is, it's not really a sweetheart deal. I mean, he pled guilty to two misdemeanor tax violations, tax crimes, Mm -hmm. and and he got probation for it. He paid the taxes back, yet he was still charged. And typically, when you pay the taxes back, you don't get charged. Yeah, um, the other That's thing like is when you return the documents. Yes, when you return the don't documents, they don't charge you, you don't for that, that you returned them. Well, like Joe Biden. So it was actually, a, yeah. in my view, uh, a pretty zealous and robust um, charging document and for the long, behavior. How long was it going on, Did say? It was going on for five, five years, years, the investigation, years. and that's oh, okay. all they, they are, they are charging him with. They also gave him what is called a diversion program for the felony gun, um, charge, and that is because he lied uh, about his drug abuse mm-hmm. when he applied for the permit. There are, like, millions of people that apply for permits and, and lie. On their gun charges, and less than I think 1% of those people are ever charged under this felony statute. And so I would say it's the opposite of a plea, of this sort of, you know, sweetheart deal. He's being held to account Uh for what he did, and that's the only way our system of justice works. Everyone has to be treated equally, Uh and he is being treated no differently than anyone else, just like Trump.
1: And another another clip, uh, I think that was more recent than this one, Sonny, you know, says, is anyone talking about the addiction element of this? And is it fair to be, you know, harping on this bad behavior when we're not sufficiently kind of crediting the fact that he was going through something very personal and, and difficult at the same time? So what do you make of that?
0: I mean, I think it is fair to harp on it, especially because his dad is the president and is very... Harsh in general on drug use uh, is not a is 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 a prohibitionist is not someone who has supported um, uh m- making drugs legal or lenient whatsoever. So you know why and, and you know Sunny there is all like um, oh yeah they 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 never go you know harsh on I, don't you favor gun control? Don't you want gun gun, uh, gun crimes enforced? This is this doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, because I do think it is true that at the same time that Hunter Biden, it would be almost unbelievable if he didn't get some special treatment because he's the president of the United States, that it is also true that there was more focus and perhaps selective prosecution of him because he is the son of the president of the United States, right? I think it is probably true that many, many people lie on their, their... drug registration forms and never get caught or investigated because they are anonymous and who's going to check it, check up on it. Hunter Biden, so publicly having these issues with right. drug addiction is part of why it's so easy to tell that he lied on the form when he said that he was not right. on the it's, influence it's not of drugs.
0: No, it's, not are, it's not that the, the prosecutors are like routinely just overlooking this crime or something. It's just that there's not right. this much scrutiny right. on an individual, right. usually. So I, I guess that's a double standard by virtue of him being a scion, a famous person's Son, um, but but also the point of the investigation again is to get to the bottom of the corruption, the potential uh, 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 you know currying of influence. Um, that's you what know, the, the, this whistleblower is alleging. Um, uh, you know payments uh, originating in China and Ukraine, et cetera. Like that's what we care about. Um, so I, look, I, I guess I agree in some very abstract way that he did struggle with drug addiction, and I don't think drug addiction should be a crime anyway. And now you know by procuring a weapon in if it just doesn't sound like he put anyone at risk but i don't you know if it was I he, mean, he this, shouldn't be on drugs and using a weapon that's or not Or discarding something. a weapon
1: in a in a public trash can. Right. Well, can. Hallie Right. Um, so now, this conversation about nepotism and special treatment has bubbled over, partly because there was a new op-ed by Meghan McCain in the Daily Mail where mm-hmm. she takes a significant issue with it. It's uh, titled, uh, Mr. President, when will you realize that your Nepo baby scumbag son doesn't deserve to be an honored guest at the People's White House? You're spitting in the faces of Americans who pay taxes and earn an honest living. It's a bit of a wordy title. I'm sure she didn't pick it, but it's obviously a quote from her piece itself where uh, she makes the case that he uh, needs to be uh, treated more fairly, more equitably mm-hmm. in line with how other people, other Americans are treated. I mean, I, Well,
0: go ahead. I, I think that's in line with what she said. I, I, I know her socially. We're friends. She said in the past—I think she said this on Twitter when the whole Nepo babies discourse was mm-hmm. happening, like— my fellow Nepo babies, we just got to own this. We had advantages that other people didn't. And so don't, you know, don't complain about it. So I think she, I think she's well aware of her, you know, status as a very significant famous person's child and how that has helped her.
1: Yes. Well, she's gotten quite a bit of pushback from folks who are pointing out the hypocrisy of uh, her being a Nepo baby. You said that she's self-aware, but of course, ironically, she was a, a- a co-host of The View at one time, a position that some might argue she wouldn't ordinarily have gotten but for being uh, uh, John McCain's daughter. Mike Singleton tweeted at her, "Megan McCain calls Hunter Biden an elitist scumbag, the ultimate product of nepotism, interesting coming from an elitist scumbag, the ultimate product of nepotism. That's obviously his opinion. Mehdi Hassan weighed in saying "Megan McCain, Megan McCain is calling Hunter Biden a Nepo baby scumbag. You can't make this stuff up and on and on and on. And of course- Why do they need
0: to cover for Hunter Biden? Like, what are they doing? Why is this this so important?
1: Well, I don't- that's a bit of a chicken and the egg situation. Is it covering for Hunter Biden to push back against Megan McCain, who's decided to come out swinging against mm-hmm. Hunter Biden? And moreover, in a different clip um, of uh, from the view of Sunny Hostin talking, she specifically raises this question of whether or not um, nepotism is an issue, including with Donald Trump and his children and his son-in-law. You know, is this really an issue of Hunter Bi- of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden? behaving particularly poorly or is this a much broader problem of elites having different rules for elites? Donald Trump pardons his son-in-law's father who was in jail for tax evasion and a number of other crimes. He appoints his son in law to basically bring peace in the Middle East, having no relate. That uh, was
0: the one prosecuted by, he was prosecuted by Chris Christie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like Jared
0: Kushner never forgave Chris Christie and vetoed. Again, this is, I I think this is not to Trump's credit the amount of influence that Jared Kushner had over the entire administration. But Christie was going to be up for a plum position in the Trump administration. Jared Kushner. From personal for reasons of personal revenge had that idea killed,
1: right? So if you're rich and you marry the president's daughter You can get your you can get a plum job Mm -hmm. and you can get your father out of jail And if you are the president's daughter you can there's been some accusations of her having met with president Xi and gotten these um, trademark uh, copyright deals that she earned quite a bit of money from the two of them are reported as having Benefited in the millions of dollars from the Trump presidency as a consequence of not giving up businesses that they said they would give up with the Trump Name, and they're not supporting a further Trump
0: bid because they got what they needed. and They're done. They're like, no, don't, don't, don't sub, don't put us under the limelight again. They don't want more <laughs> right. scrutiny.
1: Right. So they're say, we're done. We're out. Look, I think that there is a really solid case. We talked about this in an earlier segment uh, around Nancy Pelosi and insider trading and the Supreme Court justices who've been flown all around on private jets and then have uh, the people who were their patrons on those trips come before them on the Supreme Court and have get billion dollar judgments in their favor. This is a real problem. Rich people are doing whatever they want to do flagrantly with no ethical um, boundaries on whatsoever. And I think it frankly diminishes everyone, Sonny Hoston, the people going after Meghan McCain, Meghan McCain, um, to frame this in a partisan way when this really is a top-down issue. Elites are going to elite. This is what happens. They are going to, while your cousin or your aunt or your parent is riding in jail, mm-hmm. Jared Kushner, it was a miracle that he got convicted of anything to begin with, given the low conviction rates for white collar crime. But then his his son married well, and so he gets out of jail. You know, that is, that is the two-tier justice system we need, really need to be concerned about. And I would love to hear Donald Trump as he is, Presenting himself as the victim of a different kind of two-tier justice system, also advocating increasingly for people who don't have the benefit of the money, privilege, and representation that he has to defend himself from what he believes to be a political prosecution.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with any of that. Really, I think the criminal justice system should be needs to be made more fair in general. I think it, we should enforce laws that we have, and if you don't want to enforce those laws, those are things that probably shouldn't be laws. They're just, I would just have, like have fewer laws as a libertarian uh, around all sorts of things and, and not leave it, amb- because the ambiguity is where the double standard comes into play, right? Is where the, because, well, you could charge someone, but there's this tremendous um, deference to the prosecutors and the justice system to decide uh, based on, yeah, based on it's easier to go after, you know, we'll just talk about how the IRS agents pay far more attention to the low level people who are easy to prosecute than the wealthy people who will, you know, kick and scream and cry as they're being carted off. So make it simple and enforce what you're going to enforce. And that's the way to proceed.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. But I wouldn't like
0: all this drug <laughs> stuff I think should be legal, so. All what is, Trump stuff? The, the drug stuff. Oh, the, yes, yes. I think Actually, RFK Jr. I saw the other day, not to, you know, uh, put him into every conversation we have, but I was surprised. I genuinely didn't know his uh, his thoughts on this. Um, he said that, wait, let me, I liked this tweet so I can find it again. Um, oh, so he's actually, he was taking aim at Ron DeSantis. He said, uh, maybe we should have done a whole segment on this. De- this is a tweet from RK Jr. He says, "Desantis's opposition to marijuana decriminalization is wrong. I will decriminalize cannabis at the federal level. Current situation with contradictory state and federal laws is absurd. States should be able to decide without federal interference.
1: Yeah, that's a great Perfect tweet. Statement. It's a great stance. It's worth noting that all left candidates support that. Yeah. Uh, Bernie did, Marion Williamson did, and Cornell West all do as well.
0: Sure, our libertarian candidates do as well, but not— Not President Biden and not many of the Republicans running uh, on the GOP side. Absolutely. Very, very sad. Get with the program, people. (laughs) More Rising right after this. Stop the presses because the coveted Rob Schneider endorsement is in. That's right, the Deuce Bigelow male gigolo star has weighed in as is endorsing Robert F. Kennedy Jr. for president. The actor tweeted, inspiring, hopeful, courageous, most importantly, like his father, compassionate. It's my honor to support RFK Jr.
1: Here's a recent interview between Jimmy Dora and Schneider where they spoke on the controversial Joe Rogan interview with RFK Jr. and his calls for Dr. Peter Hotez to debate Kennedy on the issue of vaccines. Uh, Let's watch.
3: Um, Well, as you know what just happened with Joe Rogan and Hotez? Beautiful, wasn't that? Because I've known about him as a stooge, a pharma stooge, along with Offit. These guys were evil pharma stooges that called for the arrest of people and, like, bring in the Justice Department. But finally being exposed for the charlatan that he is, Hotes, And that is really, I mean, when you're a respected person who also has a ton of respect for you, Glenn Greenwald, when he tweets about it, when he says, well, this, you know, mm-hmm. you have to go like, well, he is the most respected journalist of the last... You know the last 10 years at least who can compare with him, yeah. and I really yeah. have a ton of respect you think for him. Anderson Cooper's up there, John <laughs> Lemon, him in the water what with a guy that's beautiful, that just says everything, doesn't it? And there are cameras everywhere now, but the internet lasts forever, so seeing.
1: So, obviously, there's two comedians yucking it up. Those views aren't necessarily our own. But it, no, not it, mine. it is a reflection, I think, of the way that RFK Jr. is exciting a lot of people who haven't necessarily uh, weighed in publicly into politics before. I see a lot of comments under our videos about him and the videos elsewhere on the internet of people saying, I am a lifelong Republican, but I'm considering switching my registration to be able to vote for RFK Jr. What do you make of this?
0: And isn't there a there's a world where uh, switching Republicans back to Democrats would be something the DNC is interested in doing, or mm-hmm. would think is a good project? You mm-hmm. know, with those Obama, some of those Obama voters who who voted for Trump, who came into the coalition because of Trump. Uh, but maybe are not all that enthusiastic about Trump's economic policies. You always talk about how it's faux working class populism. It's culturally maybe a bit more inclined with what they want, but is not actually offering them the tangible economic issues. You'd think a Democratic Party wants to win some of those people back. You'd think that, but I'm not sure they do. Why would they want deplorables voting for them? Isn't that the Democratic Party's view, is that if if these are bad people, they should be voting for Republicans? Well, we
1: already know that they don't really care about either winning or attracting that cohort back, because I'm sorry to always have to say this, but the best performing candidate with independents in 2016 and 2020 was Bernard, no middle name, Sanders. Does he um, not have a middle name? He does not have a middle name. That's it's great. That's
0: great. Middle names are pointless. Fewer people should have them.
1: I feel very strongly the opposite. I think it's the most sus thing about Bernie Sanders is that he doesn't have a middle name. What were your parents doing? No, they had other priorities, I'm sure. But uh, I do, you know, I, the Democratic Party obviously cares more about picking its own winners to advance the agenda of the mm-hmm. party more than it does actually winning elections. Because also we saw in matchup after matchup that Bernie Sanders was going to do better again against Donald Trump, but that wasn't as important as it being her turn.
0: We've got another clip we wanna play. Meanwhile, commentator Bill Maher sat down with RFK Jr. uh, where he commended his quote, brave stance on COVID vaccines actually, let's watch.
4: I also gotta say, and I'm kind of stealing my thunder from a friend of mine who you would know, but I'm not gonna mention who really said this, but I totally agree with it. Whether uh, you're right or wrong, I think you're mostly right about this issue, especially the vaccine issue, the guts and the integrity to take that stand and stick and buy your guns when media, you lose the New York Times, family. That to me is a pair of balls.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think um, sort of establishment people just have not reckoned with how harmful their their certainty on, you know, certain COVID subjects, the the trust the science crowd, the the Dr. Peter Mm Hotez's who have been all over the place. You know, we found, um, you know, when it was was Trump in charge still, he was hesitant about, you know, don't trust the Trump vaccine. He was one of those people. And then when you have to take a vaccine or you're killing everyone, became part of the establishment personality, he pivoted to that. he made, you know, made he, he attacked John Stewart for for raising the for joking about the possibility of a lab leak. Anyway, that kind of person has lost so much credibility with the American people mm-hmm. that some people who would not have been amenable to RFK Jr. because of his views on other vaccines, his longstanding views on vaccines, are listening for the first time because the establishment voices. Have discredited themselves with no recognition of that. If there was more recognition, maybe you wouldn't. Because I, I, I don't think, um, y- you know. I mean, we were, we've been trying to parse exactly. He said, R.F.K. Jr. said a number of different things about vaccines over the years. Mm-hmm. Sounds like there might be something to the vaccines that did have mercury at the time, but they don't have that anymore. Some so I don't. Yeah. And, and I, 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 unlike maybe what R.F.K. Jr. again, I don't know exactly what he said. Looks to me like even the COVID vaccines were doing something to help you if you're in a risk category or if you're very old, um, you'd rather... Or generally speaking,
1: prevented, brought down rates of hospitalization and death. But the
0: the overpromising of the establishment scientific crowd has really hurt them.
1: Yes. I mean, I'm a little surprised by Milmar's take, to be honest, because he has he has this kind of anti-establishment brand but has very much been someone who was taken in by a lot of the Russiagate stuff. He he admitted later that he was wrong on that but he you know he has been someone who's very much of a scold like don't you know what the science is i'm gonna lean into um uh, credentialists and um el- elitism and he had the, sh- the movie idiocracy where he just condemned people who hadn't read enough books and were who were very stupid you know that sort of uh sorry he wasn't idiocracy but that that's the sort of thing he has his was really the religiosity the, the anti-reli-
0: yeah anti-religious yeah.
1: yeah but uh You know, this does feel like a little bit of a heel turn for him. I guess it's welcome if Mm. he's going to do it. But it does feel a little bit like... um, jumping on the bandwagon, jumping on what mm-hmm. where the energy is in the space in a way that I don't necessarily fully trust. But I do think it's really good that RFK Jr. is doing all of these long-form interviews. I think that so many politicians are afraid of what it means to be pressed and not being able to use a seven-minute escape hatch of cable news to get out of a tough question. But what I see again, over and over again, to people responding to RFK Jr.'s interviews, what they say is, I'm so glad he had the time to talk this through. And I really appreciate that he admits that when he doesn't know the answer to a question, um, he, he is going to look into it further. And I really appreciate his willingness to say that I might actually change my mind on this going forward. And I don't know, I, I, I do think that politicians are, f- are afraid. It's like they're in an interview mm-hmm. um, where a wrong answer will disqualify you. When it's not quite like that, you have the opportunity when you're running for president to get way more than one hearing that you would get in an interview context, uh, in a job interview context, and people really appreciate your willingness to learn and grow over the course of that process.
0: So he did this long, there's a long profile of him in The Atlantic. Uh, he's interviewed in it throughout, um, and uh, you know he talks about how he feels he's been misrepresented by Mainstream people, and the author of the Atlantic piece says, "Are you worried I'm going to misrepresent what you're saying?" And he he says basically yes. Mm-hmm. Not that he, he says I think you're going to get my quotes accurate and everything. I think you're going to find some way to contextualize it where it's not mm-hmm. quite what I mean or it's not accurate. Mm-hmm. And then so the Atlantic guy says, "Well, why are you bothering to talk to me?" And he says, "I'll talk to anybody." Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a real asset mm-hmm. that uh, for a political figure to talk to people, even to talk to people who are opposed to you, mm-hmm. because then if they do overreach, if they do a bad job. Then the, you end up looking good among the people who already support you. This is something that uh, some people on the right don't understand. I mean, you see people like Vivek Ramaswamy. Well, I think will go on. Any he, maybe he's mostly friendly. I don't know if he'll go on opposition stuff too, but maybe he. Well,
1: yes, it, it was his exchange with Don Lemon that right, right, that's right, preceded Don Lemon's firing. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So uh, now, but Desantis, and I don't think this is good for him has been uh, he'll do um, oppositional kind of appearances for like for Florida media or you know mainstream Florida channels, um, but has been not so keen to wade into the arena nationally with people he doesn't like. And I think it's holding him back.
1: Yeah, so pff, DeSantis is tough, because while I do think, generally speaking, it's good advice to do the interview, Ro is one of these. He's pretty much the only progressive elected who will submit to being interviewed by Independent progressive mm-hmm. media personalities often those interviews are very contentious. Often my interviews with him are very contentious, but he he yeah, keeps coming he's back.
0: A glutton for punishment. <laughs> I I have astonished his willingness <laughs> to be interviewed by you. Uh, you 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 hold him to quite. I, but but no, also, I never mind. I, uh, like maybe but, maybe your audience knows, or but, maybe the audience. says.
1: My audience says. You know. I appreciate that at least he's willing to do this when nobody else is. And so, yeah. broadly speaking, literally the only one. I think that's a, that's, you get a lot of credit for that. Ron DeSantis does not always come across well. I do think the caveat mm-hmm. to um, being benefited by doing all of these interviews and submitting yourself even to hostile inquiry is coming across as authentic, sincere, and good natured. And it's not entirely clear to me that Ron DeSantis has the capacity to do that. Mm. Now, it could just be a lack of media training and exposure, and then if he did it more, he would come off better. But remember that his Twitter spaces was largely considered to be less than ideal, mm-hmm. shall we say, not just because of the technological issues or what have you, but that he chose to read a stump speech off of a piece of paper. He seemed stiff and wooden. Um, there was no sense of um, collegiality or openness. And if you contrast that to RFK Jr.'s Twitter spaces and other kinds of appearances, there's something that feels very warm and organic about it. The guy seems likable, regardless of whether or not you agree with his opinions. And that's not something that can be taught. You don't also, it's not just likability, it's authenticity. So I wouldn't say that Birdie necessarily seems likable, but there was something that just seemed frank and honest and authentic about him to people. And that can also carry the day. But do we think that Ron DeSantis and the positions that he's taking out is frank and honest and authentic? Do you think that he wakes up in the morning passionate about wokeism, or he sees that's a political lane for him to ride to success? I think RFK Jr. is genuinely passionate about vaccine skepticism, the environment lifting, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever it is, how, whatever you think about it. And that makes, a, that makes a big difference.
0: Absolutely. Authenticity is certainly key. I mean, it is key for likability, because people don't like people who don't seem inauthentic. Um, so absolutely. All right, we'll have more rising right up this. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is getting in shape to debate President Joe Biden, literally. Let's watch.
2: Okay. Let's go.
4: That's a fit boy.
1: RFK Jr. tweeted yesterday as president. I will restore America as the global example of health and well-being, not through pills or syringes, but through character and self-discipline. And I will continue to walk the walk and lead by example. Americans gained an average of 29 pounds during the COVID lockdowns. I will help turn this around by encouraging our citizens to exercise, eat well and fortify their immune systems by removing harmful chemicals from our food.
0: This comes as a new poll shows two in three are concerned for President Biden's mental and physical health.
1: Yeah, and this is in pretty stunning contrast to the push-up moment that happened during the Biden 2020 campaign. I don't know if you remember, but he was confronted by a, someone at a, an event, a town hall of some kind, who was challenging him on Hunter Biden's uh, work for a Ukrainian ca- gas company and whether that was untoward and implicated Joe Biden. And Joe Biden hit back by, in part, challenging, challenging him to a push-up competition. I think we have that clip as well.
4: Let him go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know, And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on let's do push-ups together, man. Let's, do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take my
1: two. So at the time, people, some people criticized him by saying that kind of machismo, challenging people to push-up contests, saying, listen, fat, wasn't exactly presidential or what we wanted from candidates. Uh, what 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 is going on here where is this a heel turn where we're now celebrating so many people are celebrating rfk jr what's going on here i mean
0: so at first we just have to like we just have to be honest he looks very good for his age he he's in great. incredible shape um i don't know what his routine is if it's just working out or what well, you know what the deal is but i would love to be in good shape when i'm that <laughs> age so good for him i sure. that doesn't affect who i would vote for <laughs> or support in any way whatsoever. You don't and if have people a lifting put,
1: litmus test for your
0: presidents? No, and if people put <laughs> any stock in who could beat who up or do more push-ups <laughs> in anything but the most, like, philosophical, again, who would win in a fight? I love having those kinds <laughs> of uh, you know, pretend philosophical So you're not going to watch but,
1: Zuckerberg versus Musk either. Yeah,
0: well, that's what I was c- coming to know. What, what is this moment where we're just, you know, challenging people to fight or something? Yeah,
1: um, look, it feels sort of regressive. I, I think that we can live in a world where we fine, appreciate the physical fitness and health and well-being of presidential candidates yeah. while not making it somehow a weird attribute to their ability to being a good president sure. of the United States. I mean, of and, but RFK there didn't say it. he,
0: you know, he said I'm getting in good shape and showed some videos. No, he didn't that's... it wasn't a, a confrontational. actually sure. it wasn't nearly as confrontational as Joe Biden's own I remarks agree. to what a random
1: town hall participant. I agree. I think Biden's were actively problematic and yes. RFK Jr.'s <laughs> is a neutral good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Agreed. But I mean, there is a I saw I did see some conversation happening about what this means for, you know, Female candidates, for instance, if we're in this world where we're, there's this kind of boys club atmosphere where Elon Musk is having uh, RFK mm-hmm. Jr. on and he says he'll have any candidate on but has ignored Marianne Williamson's taking him up on that request. If it does seem like everyone's just going on everybody's podcast and they're smoking cigars with Bill Maher and doing all of this sort of thing, is that creating a space that is- for Bill Maher. Sure. (laughs) But is that creating a space that is um, kind of perpetuating a very narrow uh, range of who possibly could be president and what kind of attributes we're looking for in candidates? I
0: I guess, which is just to be, again, to be clear, it's the views of the candidates that matter to me and should matter to everyone. Um, I don't want COVID mandates and lockdowns, and I want a more sane foreign policy, and I want some economic things that you probably don't agree with, and <laughs> I'm gonna support whoever is most in line with those things, regardless of how many pushups they do or what they smoke or whoever, Robbie, it doesn't matter. We know
1: that you're not necessarily everyone, and yeah. the the kind of do I wanna have a beer with them metric has long been something that's bandied about when discussing whether or not folks are gonna come out and vote for a given candidate. I and I do think there's something are, approachable and likable about. And why is about- the
0: candidate who gets to the, again, We had Hillary and Trump, two of the most just universally reviled people as our candidates. And then Joe Biden and Trump, which is not, if if it's an improvement over Hillary, Trump, it wasn't by very much.
1: Yeah, but look at the 2016 Republican field. Name one person who would rather have a drink with in that group over Donald Trump. I don't have a drink with Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't drink. Donald Trump doesn't give I I
0: would be fun to hang out with vibes, do you think? You know, tell me in the comments if you disagree people. if if you, if there are people out there who like, I, obviously, there are people out there who worship Trump. But I don't know if it's a I could see myself hanging out with him kind of worship. I Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me you disagree. I don't
1: want to get myself in trouble. But if my options are having a dinner with Donald Trump versus Carly Fiorina or uh, Ben Carson or Chris Christie or Jeb Bush or whomever else was Nikki Haley, whoever else was in the running I back is, in
0: 2016, 20- I'm, I'm going to come off like a weird never-Trumper, anti-Trumper. I would rather have dinner with any of those people. Are you but serious? For sure.
1: There is there is a zero percent chance I mean, I guess that, that the of Trump would not be value. deeply entertaining. Well, I, when he when he
0: gives a speech, he is when he like I don't know if he's. Okay, if
1: you, apparently know. you're going to give up the opportunity if it, if it comes down uh, the pipe to I sit down for a Big Mac and fries with, with a former president yeah, of the a, United States
0: Again, that's not my style.
1: <laughs> all right, but, th- but this is a, a little besides the point. I mean, I, it sh- it's worth noting that some people very much push back against this. Some people were saying that he wasn't actually lifting very much at all. One viral tweet um, by author Olufemi Otayo said, seeing this tweet about a steroid user doing less than a plate for eight struggle reps has finally convinced me that there's a crisis. Of masculinity. We must make America lift again. There were some people making the allegation that his fitness was the result of steroid use as opposed to actually working out. And they used as evidence the mm-hmm. fact that he wasn't lifting apparently very much or doing very many reps. RFK Jr. did respond at one point saying uh, that he was at the end of his rep cycle for push-ups at least and that he can do many That's more a classic. than that. That's <laughs> a classic. When, when you come into the,
0: the kitchen before the show and I'm doing 999, 1,000.
1: 9, I mean, it does. Yeah. Look, I do wonder about what the popularity of this, sort of thing says about our ideas about masculinity, broadly speaking, in a way that it's not RFK Jr.'s fault Mm -hmm. at all, but why this sort of thing goes so popular, uh, goes so viral. Whereas, you know, other attributes that I think I would like to see in a presidential candidate, like, I don't know, emotional maturity, sensitivity, perhaps Mm -hmm. spirituality, are not valued in those same sorts of ways, or at least by the people who are platforming uh, presidents. And, and I think that's going to have a long-term effect. But I mean, this, Joe Rogan cares about fitness
0: and yeah. fighting and things like that. I mean, you can care about those things in a totally healthy
1: way, right? There are Colonel Cor- West ways has got to gotta get rid of one's that masculinity, that, that suit, that penguin suit, and okay. put on <laughs> put up some well, workout But you know, you can't you, you
0: can't be inauthentic. I mean, it's it's authentic when it comes from a Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan type people. And there's an you know an authentic like if I started trying to preach on the show about you know working out and, body, like, no one would believe it coming from me. So it yeah, has so to be, and I do work out. I work out every morning.
1: Let's talk about that because not you're working out every morning, <laughs> but this idea that there are spaces that, of course, would validate different kinds of personalities, right, different different focuses yeah. that are not just working out. But let's say uh, candidates spend a lot of time in the Oprah universe or the Brene Brown universe mm-hmm. or some of these more gender female-coded or sensitive or spiritual, mystical, whatever you want to call them, places. I I think that what we have, we know, I don't think, we know mm-hmm. that candidates have been actually stigmatized for living in those spaces, being proximate to those spaces, even though those spaces are very, very popular. So it, you know, Marianne Williamson in particular comes out of, you know, was uh, the Oprah universe. She doesn't like to be described as Oprah's mm-hmm. spiritual advisor, but she has been described as that in the past. Um, Dr. Oz similarly did not seem to be benefited from that by that relationship in the least in his uh, run for Senate. And so it, it it is interesting that it almost feels like some people have to forgo the platform um, that they came up on. They have to forgo the reach that can come from those kinds of platforms because they're not they're not Broadly acceptable or seen as a net value in a broader realm outside of that, whereas some of these things like fitness seem to have broader mm-hmm. social traction, and or at least in the, the by the according to the people who are running politics or yeah, I mean, on but
0: it depends what you did in that space. Like Dr. Oz, for instance, I I think he gave a lot of bad diet etc. advice. I mean huge some people
1: would some people would say the same thing of R. F. K. Jr. or Joe Rogan. Right. I mean that's the criticism they get, Right. right.
0: Well, and they are, they're, they're not everybody's cup of tea. A lot of people are reacting against them, a lot of people thunderously condemning both or misinformation, allegedly, et cetera. I saw that there were two more hit pieces over the last 24 hours or over the weekend. Atlantic interviewed RFK Jr., all about how he's the, the, the Elon Tucker Bannon candidate or something. Uh, the Daily Beast, of course. Um, you know, they, they're going to continue to lay into him exactly for having all the associations you mentioned.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we are going to soon be treated to Gavin Newsom's workout routine. (laughs) (laughs) How many reps can you do, Robbie?
0: Political candidates, feel free to keep your shirts on and just propose good policies. That's enough for my vote, but maybe you out there feel differently. More rising right after this.
1: There may have been another UFO sighting in Middletown, Ohio. According to reporting by The Daily Caller, a rotating green light was seen by multiple people last week. The sheriff's office said they didn't receive any calls about the light and no one has debunked the sightings, at least not yet.
0: Hmm. All right, Robbie. Part of a whole <laughs> chain of sightings in Ohio. I guess this is uh, this is the answer to my whole... Why do they always show up in the <laughs> desert in the middle of nowhere? I mean, Ohio is also the middle of nowhere, to be clear. Sorry, I'm from uh, Michigan. Okay, I'm Michigan.
1: <laughs> okay, so first of all, not only do I want to defend Ohio because my family is from there, without outing any specific member of my family, I can corroborate there is some family lore about a UFO sighting at a really in the 1970s in a park in Cleveland. I'll mm. say no more because I
0: don't want. Oh, to that's where I crashed in my anyway. ship when I came to uh,
1: when I came to Earth. But look, no, I, we had that really great interview um, with a uh, Harvard scientist last week who was on a, a boat in the ocean investigating an um, interstellar object that had hit Earth that he thinks could corroborate or could be evidence of life uh, beyond our solar system. Specifically, he was talking about the fact that there was a, an alloy, these little spherical alloys or combinations of different kinds of metals that don't naturally occur, that they were able to recover from the ocean floor by dredging a magnetic sled along the bottom. And he was very excited about what this might mean. So whether or not it's because things fall on the ocean, which of course comprises the majority of the earth's surface, whether it's because that people are just discounting the testimony of the good folks that live in the interior Midwestern regions of our country, or whether there are reasons specifically that a spacecraft might be attracted to desert locales or places where we're testing nuclear bombs a la Asteroid City, which I also had the pleasure of seeing this weekend. Oh, was it Anderson. Like, It was beautiful. A little thin in the way mm-hmm. that Wes Anderson's tend to be movies tend to be on plot, but it was very beautiful. But so, so like, what do what you make of this? Do you think, what, that people are just seeing more sightings now because there's so much alien news afoot?
0: Yes, in fact, I, I believe there is a, like, well-documented phenomenon, like a social <laughs> contagion effect of people <laughs> claiming to see more aliens when there are alien stories in the news. I think that's been demonstrated beyond any sort of contention, but... Uh, I, I did like that guest we had on mm-hmm. last week uh, who, who was speaking um, the plausible way, if we, if we were to find evidence of life elsewhere, the plausible way it will happen, right, is to find, yes, remnants of technology. The, the way they would find ours, some other civil, mm-hmm. they'd find our satellites. Mm-hmm. They'd find our like a probe. junk yeah, that got exactly. jettisoned off of a spacecraft or something. So just like that, maybe, yes, the, the, the remnant debris and it would be more likely actually to land in the ocean and so he's trying to scoop it out. Yeah. That all that all that tracks, tracks with for me. You. Some funny lights over Akron. So this video,
1: I mean, let's let's they do look not at track this. With me. <laughs> let's look at this this video more closely. So one individual who saw it, the, the person who managed to capture the video, um, described his initial reaction as a mix of fear and fascination, exclaiming, "I instantly thought like we're under attack by aliens. It was scary." Then the lights disappeared without there being any hostile uh, action. Eyewitnesses, including Bryce Garrick, observed the enigmatic lights rotating in a clockwise motion before swiftly darting across the sky and vanishing. I will say that's exactly the look of the ship in Asteroid City, Mm. this new movie that is on a lot of people's minds right now. It was green. It was circular. It rotated. It exited stage right. It's... It's exactly a this movie has, has
0: has not launched that it's just lucky to be coinciding with a with another burst of renewed public interest in alien stuff.
1: Well, one skeptic might point out here? The conspiracy could be that there is a well-documented relationship between um, U.S. defense agencies and Hollywood. They 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 fund movie projects that are uh, glorifying to the U.S. military. David Sirota's written an entire book about this relationship, uh, and it. If you were going to be really conspiratorial, you could say, "Oh yeah, we, the, the the Defense Department, the U.S. government was planning on to, making this a whole arc
0: to distract us uh-huh. with aliens, uh huh, distract us from other things."
1: Yeah, they said, "Look, Wes." We have some ideas for your next project coming out in the summer of 2023. We really think aliens are going to be big. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I don't know. But, oh. they, and, but they can't. But it's, it's Grush, David Grush, who spoke, who was interviewed yeah. on News Nation. And he has kicked off, I think, this renewed interest by the really strong claims he made, having saying that he has direct knowledge of he has knowledge of people who have direct knowledge of not just recovered uh, a craft, but drivers, uh, Actually, intelligent yeah. life. That's not something that we had on a, another uh, kind of UFO expert who's worked with Grush in the past on the show last week or the week before saying that she couldn't, you know, testify to anything to that degree.
1: Yes. Well, look, about this particular sighting, I think it's interesting that there hasn't been a rush for an explanation. No one's come forward and said, This was a weather balloon. This was a a drone camera. This was something that was easily explained. Um, So I think that's giving people some cause. And the clarity of the video and the image is kind of inviting them. They they don't like
0: to explain anything. They have to be made to, and they still don't. We're complaining about how they won't declassify any of the COVID information. They won't, um, you know, the whistleblower says the FBI, the Hunter Biden whistleblower says the FBI already knew that the laptop was real.
1: Or yeah, but you think that, you largely think, in most of those examples, that they won't reveal stuff because there's a there there, Yeah, but not in the case of the UFOs?
0: It just seems like a lot to keep quiet. <laughs> wow. I don't know. for. A hundred years, or however long this is going on.
1: Well, to your point, Robbie, the reported sightings happened just days before Senator Josh Hawley accused the government of covering a, up a huge number of UFOs in an interview with our partners at News Nation. The Republican senator said he was surprised to learn about how many I- unidentified aerial phenomena have been discovered. He went on to say the government is good at keeping secrets when it wants something to stay hidden.
0: Mm, well, I guess that that could be the case. Sometimes they're they're good at keeping <laughs> secrets. For some degree of time, yeah. But th- th- we're talking about a cover-up that's been going on a hundred years, if you believe. Look, sure. Uh, across so many different administrations.
1: Yeah. It, 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 yes. Is that surprising to you? I, another thing that I did this weekend was I watched the. Um, I finally watched the Oliver Stone JFK yeah. movie for the first time. Look, I, th- at this point, it would not surprise nothing is beyond the scope of what the government could be Mm -hmm. failing to disclose. I'll put it that way. I don't think that there, I don't, my issue wasn't how could the government have done this? How could they have sustained this illusion for so long? The only question is, is there any evidence that supports it? Absent the idea that the government can do anything it wants to, is there actually any concrete evidence that supports the idea that these multiple sightings, particularly in Ohio, uh, are real. So I look forward to seeing what the scientific explanations are offered for this whirring green disk in the sky.
0: This was a two-movie weekend for you. you uh, i watched and- many
1: more movies than that, <laughs> but I won't be disclosing. That's okay. I played,
0: <laughs> as promised, a thousand hours of Zelda, and I did Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> Okay, tomorrow on Rising, we will be back with more news to share with you, and we hope you are back
1: as well. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe so you never miss any content. For those of you who like to listen while you're on the go, we are now available anywhere you listen to podcasts. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.